0: Let us worship God. Our first reading is from Acts of the Apostles, the 17th chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the one who is the Holy One of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Nor is God served by human hands, as though God needed anything, since God gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for God and find God, though indeed God is not far from each one of us. For in God we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are God's offspring. Since we are God's offspring, We ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent because God has fixed a day on which God will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom God has appointed. And of this, God has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to
1: God.
2: gospel reading is from the gospel of John, the 14th chapter. If you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the creator and God will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees the spirit nor knows the spirit. You know the spirit because the spirit abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my creator and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my creator and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Will you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, come now and deepen our faith. Come and strengthen our hope. Come and expand our love. And water within each of us the desire to be your faithful friends forever. Amen. Amen. So our readings through the past few weeks have been full of arguments, right? Accusations flying, stones flying. It's been a little bit intense. Um, People are arguing over their interpretation of Scripture. So there are these uh, deepening divisions within the Jewish community between those who believe that Jesus was the Messiah and those who did not. And now we've skipped a few chapters, but there are divisions also growing among early church leaders, Those who follow Jesus about whether and how to include foreign, outsider, Greek people. What do we do with them? The early church leaders are arguing over their interpretation of tradition and ritual practice, all the rules that form and shape identity. So they're talking about like circumcision and dietary laws, but the questions are all around assimilation right? Do they have to be like us in order to follow Jesus? And you can hear the duality even within the framing of the question, right? Us, them, yes, no, in and out. Things have also dramatically shifted for Saul. You remember Saul, right? Last week, he watched as Stephen was stoned to death. He's a zealous young leader who's rising to power And he probably thought that he was being righteous, that he was protecting his community of faith, that he was protecting maybe even God. But now things have changed for Saul. On the way to another inquisition, he has this encounter with Jesus that is so profound that it permanently alters the course of his life. Paul has been ravaging the church, Acts says, riding from town to town, breathing threats and murder. How awful does that sound? And Jesus doesn't come to him with wrath and anger, but with abundant mercy. We don't get to read that story in all of its details, but it is one of the greatest hits. And when you read it, you can hear how Jesus is mothering Saul, calling him out on all his crap, but not in a way that damages his person, right? Inviting him into a wider perspective to help him understand the full impact of his actions and behaviors while appealing to Saul's strong sense of integrity and righteousness in order to actually lead him in a different direction. So Saul comes to see in that encounter with Jesus that what he thought was righteousness His narrow interpretation of scripture, his rigid rules, his harsh judgment of deviance is in fact persecution. Jesus names it as persecution. And Saul also comes to understand and see in that encounter with Jesus that God is greater than he ever knew, that God is more inclusive than he had imagined, and that God is doing more than he understands. So by the time we get to this week's reading, here comes Saul, now known as Paul, so Saul is called Paul, and he's still the same zealous, maybe a little bit arrogant guy as he was before, but he has changed his tune entirely, and he's set off on this wild new witness. Look at how he enters into Athens, first by listening, observing, and learning, He's read their poets and philosophers. He's visited all their shrines, every single one. And he names the beauty and the questions and the longings that he finds in their their faith, in their practice. And he quotes points of agreement that he finds from their philosophers as the starting point of a conversation. And then he draws all these points of resonance, these observations that he's made into the comprehensive story of God from creation to consummation. He tells the story, though, in their own terminology. He's not coming in saying, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? He's quoting their own poets and their own thinking in order to tell the story of God so that these well-known ideas are at once familiar to them, but also strange and new. And in that whole process, he's pressing toward a deeper exploration of themes from their tradition by translating them, reframing them within the story of the living God. Paul is improvising. You can think of the technical skill, the melodic freedom, the innovation of someone like John Coltrane. He's a jazz musician who took improvisation in astounding new directions. He's been described as a visionary, a prophet, and a saint. His music is both dense and fluid, and it draws you in your listening into a journey of discovery. Part of what defined His distinctive sound was his ability to play several notes all at the same time, amid cascades of scales, what critics have come to call sheets of sound. I love that. And Coltrane actually described it this way. He said, I start in the middle of a sentence and move in both directions at once. My favorite example is his famous 1960 cover of My Favorite Things. Right? The song was a classic from the Rogers and Hammerstein Sound of Music musical. Do you, you know this tune? Yeah, most of you, so hopefully some of you, yes. I'm not gonna sing it. So so hopefully you know it. If you haven't, you can listen to it. But at the time, it was instantly recognizable, it was widely loved in the musical. Maria, who's a mm, novice, not quite nun, right, is sent, assigned as a governess to a family after the wife and mother of seven, six, seven, seven has died. And it's this simple song that she sings to the children about what to do when you feel afraid. It's charming, it's light, and the song itself actually moves you from sadness and fear into a space of freedom. Right, And John Coltrane dives headfirst into that freedom. In just a couple of days, he recorded this mystical, mesmerizing, 14 minute long meditation on the tune. And critics have, have noted the layering of African and Indian and Western musical influences, how he draws the tune into this multicultural dialogue. And he's both incorporating new material, but he's also using the original material in totally new ways. And at times he actually even seems to abandon the original tune altogether as he goes off in these like improvisational um, extended passages. But then there it is again. It springs back kind of unexpectedly and you hear it all over again. And it's both familiar, but also new. A year after it was released, Coltrane described my favorite things as his favorite piece of everything he'd recorded up to that point. He said, this waltz is fantastic. It's very interesting to discover a terrain that renews itself according to the impulses you give it. And that is Paul's new approach to evangelism Now evangelism is a little bit of a sticky word, right? All kinds of assumptions and experiences that we've had sort of like glom onto it. Um, I know there's one like fairly common um, negative connotation that has been glommed onto the word evangelism is this idea of like kind of, this is where I need a whiteboard, two boxes, right? This is an oversimplification, but you'll get it, I think. Over here is like you, whoever you are. You're in this box. And we'll just call this box sin. And you are trapped there, and you are stuck there, and you are imprisoned there, and you have absolutely no way of getting out. Over here is another box. And over here, this is, this is us. We are Christian, and we are in this box, and we are having a raging party, and it is fun. And we feel really, really bad for you that you're over there in that box because that box when you die is an elevator straight to hell. And the only way for you to get out of that box is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then magically, you will spring over into this box and you can join the party and you can be cool with us because we are cool with God, right? You've heard some version of this before in your life, yes? I still remember when I was in seventh grade, um, I had found a new friend, which you know in seventh grade that is like essential. And we had bonded over um, commiserating in gym class about running laps. Um, And I got a phone call from her one afternoon. You know, we'd we'd been chatting for a few weeks, running laps. And I got a phone call from her. She was inviting me to come to church with her and her family because she said, I just have really liked getting to know you and you seem like such a really nice person and I don't want you to burn in hell for all eternity. As well-intentioned as it is, that is not the gospel, right? And I think that the church has gotten this wrong for centuries. Those were Saul's tactics. Narrow interpretation, rigid rules, right? Vehement, vehement judgment of heresy. And it's not just something that happened a long time ago, right, that has influenced the efforts of assimilation and oppression that have governed this country for a very long time, since before its founding. And we're still living with that. Um, I mean, there's a reason why people get uncomfortable with the word evangelical when the loudest voices in our political atmosphere associate it with white nationalism and oppressive legislations. And um, it's heartbreaking, right? It's It's really heartbreaking. Um, but there is a different way, because Jesus has broken down the walls, and so the other message is, here's the box, and here's you, and you're living in this box, right? But Jesus has wiped away those walls. Jesus has broken them down. So... The voices that tell you who you have to be in that box, they have no power over you. And the, the idols that you've worshipped cannot give you the life that you long for because you are beloved. And you yourself can see that the world is wide and spacious and God's love is gracious and you are alive in it and you don't have to stay right there. And that is a witness that the world desperately needs. I'm here today because as a college student, the Presbyterian campus minister named Sherry took a whole lot of time, so much time, too much time, uh, inviting me to coffee. I wasn't even part of her group. I wouldn't have even called myself Christian. But she had coffee with me once a week. We went on long walks. She listened to my life story. And she kept over and over and over again, drawing my longings and desire, my hopes, my fears, my hurts into this wider story of God's grace and love. This is evangelism. This is telling the story. It's playing the song over and over again across different times and contexts, drawing the themes of other stories into conversation with it. And the melody is the same, even as the music moves in these wild new directions. And this is how Paul arrives in Athens. He is jamming, right? He's throwing out these broad strokes from Genesis all the way to Jesus that God is the one who who created and birthed the beauty of everything that we know around us, the world, the expansive universe, everything in it, in abundance, in ongoing change and in beautiful, beautiful diversity. That God is the one who shaped us in our human form for relationship with God and with each other, right? That we are made by love and in love and for love, but also with the freedom not to love. That God is the one who creates within us a sense of longing, longing to be seen and known, longing for home longing for God, but God is also the one who seeks after us and finds us and rejoices and hymns us in and will never let us go. God is the one who comes to us in Jesus so close, so close that God is within our very flesh and teaches us, therefore, to affirm and love and protect and care for bodies, not to worship them, but to love and protect and care for them. God is the one who leads us from glory into glory and invites us to re-examine our lives, our priorities, and change directions. The end of Acts says that Paul goes on, I mean, we see him all through Acts, and he hasn't abandoned the synagogues, it's worth noting. He's also still going to all of his Jewish brothers, sisters, kin, and proclaiming the gospel there too, in their own language, in his own language. Um, But he's also forever continually spreading um, beyond those boundaries. And by the end of Acts, it says that Paul is out proclaiming the gospel bold and unhindered. And the book itself almost ends with that question mark of like, so what about you? What does it look like for you to proclaim the gospel boldly and unhindered in your life? There's this scene... In the Sound of Music, uh, the film version with Julie Andrews, when, which I watched over and over and over again as a child with my grandmother. Maria first comes to the household. The household is gripped in grief, right? It has all those familiar markings. It's a place full of fear and anger. There are rigid rules. There is harsh judgment. And she's looking around, and she just happens to open this door into a beautiful ballroom. And the lights are dimmed the shades are drawn, the place is just shrouded in silence. But she has no sense of kind of propriety propriety in terms of, she just, she walks in boldly. And and kind of unexpectedly, at least to me, she starts bowing and curtsying, right? And these like grand, kind of ridiculous gestures. It's, she's a playful child. And then for a moment, um, she's, embodying just the full potential and intention of that space, right? But then the captain enters, and she hastily exits, and he closes the door again. And it's amazing to me that in that exchange, whether he knows it or not, he has glimpsed for the first time the gospel that she will proclaim over and over and over again as their relationship unfolds, that this room is meant for music— It's meant for love and laughter and grand, ridiculous gestures. This room is meant for dancing, and death cannot close that door. There is yet more life to live, for God will not leave you orphaned. There is more life than you imagined, more mercy, more love. There is just so much more. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen.
0: us pray. Holy One, you have fed us in song, in silence, in word, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. This room is made for music and dancing and love and mercy. Go forth and proclaim the gospel boldly,